Evolutionary.org presents Evolutionary Hardcore Podcast with your co-hosts, Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the most hardcore and underground info in the industry. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6... Evolutionary.org Hardcore Podcast coming your way. Episode 164. Today we're doing George Peterson. Steve Schmee here in the Mobster. What's up, buddy? All good. This is going to be nice and nasty. George, a lovely fella and nasty for what might have been the issues. It's going to be a proper fucking hardcore podcast today, people. So we're recording this about a month after his death three four weeks after his death george peterson who was george peterson classic physique pro bodybuilder became the first nationals classic physique champion in history george always wanted to be the best bodybuilder he could be even if it meant sacrificing friendships sacrificing time with his family and sacrificing his health he made a switch to classic physique competitions And that required him to make some crazy changes to his body, but it also pounded down his health. So we're going to talk about all this stuff, guys, and this guys and gals in this podcast. We're going to talk about his life, his successes, his training, his diet, his steroid cycle, and unfortunately, his recent death. So a little bit about him growing up before I bring in the mobster for his thoughts. Let me tell you guys. About his history, he was born in 1984. He was from Queens, New York. Very gifted guy. He did basketball, football, and karate, believe it or not. And you don't see that too much in bodybuilders. Um, I'm not sure we've seen very many guys who've been bodybuilders who also practice karate. So I found that fascinating. His big fan actually wasn't the typical guys like Arnold or Frank Zane, but it was actually Bruce Lee, which is also interesting because he was born in 1984. And I was born a few years. I was actually, um, I'm, I'm about five, six years older than him. And I did not remember anything about Bruce Lee growing up. That was uh, before my time. So I don't know, Mobster, you grew up around Bruce Lee. So I found this interesting. For some reason, he got into Bruce Lee, maybe an uncle or something. He used to watch Bruce Lee movies or something. I, I have no idea. But that, that was interesting as well. So that's another thing. You don't see bodybuilders growing up idolizing martial artists. That's another thing that was weird. Um, so in one of the re- ways he got into weight training was by following martial arts because he wanted to do weight training to get stronger. So in the process, by accident, he realized, wow, I'm really good at this. And he noticed his arms and chest started growing. So he started to do bodybuilding shows. So bodybuilding was even more challenging than any of his other sports, football, basketball, martial arts. And he was like, man, I really want to do this. So he realized how much discipline it took and how much dedication it took. So at his peak, at, when he was ripped, okay, this is when he was at his peak in the physique division, five foot seven, 
So he's not the tallest guy in the world. He's about my height and 195 pounds, absolutely shredded. If you look at pictures of him, we can estimate that his body fat was as low as 3% when he was yeah. at his peak. So when you're that low body fat, it's just not natural, you know, to be that low. And uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's un- incredible, but you got to give him credit for getting that low in the first place. Perhaps mobster, the most incredible, pure physique we have ever seen in bodybuilding history. And his nickname was the bull d-a-b-u-l-l kind of like you the mobster he was the bull <laughs> yeah so give us your thoughts on on this and then we're going to get into his competitions you just reminded me i think the only person i can think of specifically and there's probably are others is flex wheeler coming from a martial arts background uh but something we've just touched upon and i want to get into the rest properly is being three percent body fat isn't healthy it just isn't i mean i've seen clarence ross i believe or Clarence bass perhaps clarence bass back in the day and there's different ways of measuring your body fat but you and i have got an eye we know how this works and when you see the guys that are super super ripped with the veins and the separation and even sometimes it looks like you can see the muscle fibers you go oh my fucking good grief and it blows your mind but it's not healthy to stay in that state or to stay that low, or even some of the guys that we know on them on, on the forums, we sometimes see this, wanting to be sub 8% all the time. 10% is where you'll see your abs. 8% is when you start to look freaky. When you get down below that, it's an amazing look. It should only be for very short periods of time. Guys, that stress on your system is a bad idea for your immune. I mean, your immune system. You will be more likely to have infections. You will be tired. You will be hungry. It's not a natural state. But in terms of aesthetic, in terms of how it looks, it's fucking mind-blowing. Guys that come on stage now, sometimes we don't see that. We see a full visit. We don't in, a, in the open classes, you're not seeing rip to the bone. You're not seeing super dry. There's, there's a balance here, which I'm going to get into properly, uh, in terms of you know what's good for the sport, what's uh, the, the look, and what's required. Uh, but yeah, being 3% not good for you. Back to you, Steve. All right, guys, so let's get into his early competition. So the guy, uh, George, started competing in 08. He wanted to compete in the over 220-pound divisions. Years later, he decided to change his mind and decided to make a switch to classic physique, which was, of course, lower weight class. He had to lose 30 pounds. And that was a challenge that he readily did. So – his best accomplishments in the physique, 2017 Olympia Classic Physique third, 2018 Olympia Classic Physique third. Then the next year, Arnold Men's Classic Physique, he won it. And then the Olympic Classic Physique, also third that year. The next year, 2020 Tampa Pro, 212 division first. And then the 2020 Olympia 212 division third. So he was... Very consistent, I would say, <laughs> getting third place at Mr. Olympia. But, yeah, he did win the Arnold Men's Classic Physique, and he did win the, win the T- Tampa Pro. So, um, you know, there was no – yeah, go ahead. Just want, to jump in, just want to jump in here, Steve. It occurs to me again, and I don't want to knock George too much because we're going to get into what a nice guy is as well. 
something that Flex uh, Lewis was doing was dropping weight to make weight. Is that an issue possibly for bodybuilders where these guys, and George is a good example, you know, 220 to 212 less. I think the, the classic physique uh, height weight ratio may, be, may have meant that it was less than five foot seven. You said 30 pounds. Is that something that people want to do as a bodybuilder? Is that a possible stressor on the system when you go, right, you know, walking around all day long in good shape in a different class at 220, and in order to compete in the classic physique, you've got to lose 30 pounds. And like I said, Flex Lewis is a good example of someone we've seen at 225, 230, a few weeks before the Olympia when he was competing, and looking mind-blowing, but having to get down and losing some of that mind-blowingness to 212 to compete in that class. I'm just wondering if that's another stressor on the system, Are we're going to get into that in a minute again. Onwards, Steve, back to you. So social media, he's got 400,000 people, um, almost 400,000 people. Um, I didn't know, I didn't see how many he had before his death. So I'm not sure, Mobster, if that went up quite a bit after his death. That tends to happen a lot. Yeah. We see that all the time. Um, so, but he does have a pretty good following. Um, he's promoted supplement companies, attire, diet companies over the years. So it seems like he made a good living through endorsements. Um, you know, let's get into uh, his uh, diet and training. I'll talk a little bit about his diet. Mom, so you can get into training. So to be ripped like George was, you got to be extremely disciplined when it comes to diet. Zero refined sugars, zero refined carbs, anything in, that's going to stand in his way to get ripped. And he also talked about in a video about post-workout nutrition and how important it is. And you know, he talks about um, eating within 30 to 60 minutes post-workout. He believes in eating protein and carbs. When you're at that level, you know, that's that's what these guys have to do. Obviously, a normal Joe, you're not going to die if you don't eat 30, 60 minutes post-workout. But he really, you know, was meticulous. And it's really a good disciplinary type of thing to kind of plan your meals like that and make sure that you're getting enough of the protein and carbs that you need. So that was interesting that he doesn't shy away from carbs. You would think someone who is that lean would be, Oh my God, I can't have carbs at all. No, no, no. You can have carbs. He didn't have an issue with carbs, but he made sure he stuck to the good complex carbohydrates, you know, the brown rice, the sweet potato, stuff like that, not cake and cookies and donuts. So, yep. Yeah, so I'm just I'm just, just thinking here, Steve, for a second. He's actually kind of, the, the, the diet here is kind of sensible in its way. You and I are both aware from uh, the history of the sport that certain people through through the game, through, through time, have mucked around with the diet kind of crazy stuff, like zero fat, for example. Long-term, that's not healthy. It's not good for your skin, not good for your mental health. I, I know of guys out there, when they talk about raw, they're not kidding. Uh, muscle smoke and mirrors, or for himself, Randy Roach talks about eating raw meat. So there's been some extreme examples out there. And I don't think this necessarily applies to George in this case, but we do know that sometimes people do crazy shit in order to get in shape, crazy shit to lose that last bit of fat, crazy shit to be ripped. And again, although I don't think it specifically is the issue here with George, it is sometimes an issue with people. And again, when you're combining the drugs, which we'll get into later on, you're, you're putting so many stressors on the system. As I say, Georgie, actually, is kind of sensible having some carbs in there. One thing that you probably, you and I could probably discuss if we were coaching a person, 
we, we would manipulate the time when the carbs is going in and stuff like that. And I suspect, again, with George, that's probably exactly what he was doing, especially if he was being coached, which I believe he was, prior to competition. So carbs pre-training, not after training, if you're getting ready for competition, that kind of stuff. It's difficult for us to get into with this podcast the specifics. But again, these are the kind of stuff you need to be aware of, people, when you're thinking about what they're doing. George is actually kind of sensible. There are some crazy approaches out there. But you, Steve. Well, I'm going to throw it right back to you, Mob. So talk about his training, and then we're going to talk about his death and his yep. steroid cycle. Yeah. That's his training. George, says you've mentioned it already, Steve, that he was competing in a 220-plus class in open competition or 220 pounds as an open-class competitor. And that required, to put that kind of muscle in a five-foot-seven frame, a lot of heavy weight. So we know that in the past, he's done some big numbers. He's, done, he's trained for mass, he's trained for power, he's trained for strength. And that put the muscle tissue on the bone. Now, switching to a classic class that requires you, and this is very quick rules, guys, you are allowed to be a certain height and you're allowed to have a certain amount of weight per height. So if you're taller, you can have more weight. But ultimately, it's kind of across the board, more or less the same. It's actually your structure that differs. So in, in the case of George, he's had to lose weight, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, and dropping 30 pounds to complete in the classic. So he realizes no going, you know, going out there and doing crazy squats, deadlifts, bench, whatever. He needs to do more isolation, be more shape specific, and put in the right, you know, the, the muscle on the bone's got to be quality muscle on the bone. It has to look a certain particular way. So the lower rep stuff that he's done in the past is put to one side, probably kept in the off-season just to keep mass on. But the rest of the time he's sculpting, he's shaping, he's he's, he's doing more reps, he's doing more specific. Can I build a better peak of my bicep? Can I put the rear head of my delt and shape and all that kind of stuff? He's got a chest workout, which, which we refer to with a YouTube link in the article that we attached to this uh, podcast. And you can check that out, guys, just to see exactly what he was doing and get some ideas about the angles and that that refinement and that quality stuff that he's looking at. Plus, of course, as Steve and I have addressed in some previous podcasts, your foundation of muscle, what you built, on your way up doesn't disappear yet now you're just trying to look a certain way or to quote Arnold Schwarzenegger you're trying to sculpt the body you're trying to be like an artist and, and produce a certain effect a certain look George for sure had a look all of his own yeah back to you Steve well I thought it was interesting too one of the things that I read was um you know how he switched his kind of training when he started mm -hmm. doing the physique but I wonder too though if the strength training and the lower rep his background originally ended up paying off when he did make the switch versus just doing the workout as is yes. for physique yes. and then not the having that yeah. background. So we've seen that. Yeah. I'll, I'll address people. that now, Steve. Sorry. I'll address that now. There's some guys on the forums, younger guys, especially that don't know enough about the sport and they need to either speak to a PT or a coach, get a good book that seems to be better than reading about it online and a lot of the time, guys, when you're looking at videos of, of, of top athletes, you're only getting what they are now. You're not getting what they used to be. So it's a good example, Steve, and I'll address this very quickly. If you start with the muscle shaping type exercise and that's all you did as an athlete, you would not have that mass. It's, it, it's, you're complete and utter genetic freak. Doing, for example, concentration curls right from the get-go it's not going to build mass. It might give you a little bit of a bubble to your bicep, but you're not going to have that big arm. Whereas if you do the compound exercises, the basics, as we call them, and you do that for years and you build that massive foundation, 
then you've got something to build on top of. To use an analogy from the sculpting and the artistry stuff, you need a big lump of marble to start with. If you're using, to, to, you'll be, it's real, real difficult to do it the other way around. So yeah, dropping 30 pounds to get down to the classic thing is a lot easier than, than coming from a mass and a, and, a, and, a, and a compound exercise kind of way and then shaping what you've already got versus trying to build muscle using only compounds. There's no one out there doing 150 pound dumbbells on the compounds, but they might be swinging on cheat curls on an easy curl bar, 150, 200 pounds. So you do need the foundation. And trust me, nine times out of 10, as Steve will know, when we talk to people online, when we talk about coaching, when we see guys in the gym, the guys that get size and they're normal guys are the ones that are doing big deadlifts, big squats, big presses, this kind of stuff. If it's the guys that are on the pet deck from day one or, or leg extension from day one, these are not going to be mass monsters. It's just not going to happen. They'd have to have genetics of a, of a Greek god or something like that to happen. The rest of the guys you need to do is hardcore nasty shit. And George, for sure, even we've been inspired by some martial artists, was a big, strong motherfucker at five foot seven. And he was doing some big numbers on the compounds. Now that switch, you can't do it the other way around. If you can, you've got some sort of magic bean thing going on and, and, and we've yet to meet you. Back to you, Steve. So October, 2021, George was found dead. Yeah. He was only 37 years old found dead in his yeah. hotel room in Orlando during the prepping for the Mr. Olympia 2021. So put a huge damper on the competition for a lot of guys, especially the guys who were in the physique group. I mean, this is, this is a, a brotherhood and it's a sisterhood. You know, the competitors are, you know, really close to each other. They're trying to beat each other on stage, but it's, it's still at the end of the day, you know, it is a brotherhood and any, you know, beefs that come up, you know, are kind of, in my view, kind of just to get some publicity going, you know, they try to do the whole MMA, the WWE wrestling type of thing. Oh, let's get some publicity. So people, more people get interested in it, but bodybuilding isn't, you know, it's, even though it's a selfish sport, it's a solo sport, you know, these competitors really, really love each other in the end. Um, so the organizer of the Mr. Olympia said, our condolences go out to his family and all who respected and admire one of the kindest men we have ever known. And George was, um, you're not going to find anybody who has anything bad to say about George Peterson and his Instagram. He doesn't post, this is what mobster and I discussed on the pre-show. You know, he doesn't put up pictures of him with cars. He doesn't put up pictures of him in a hot tub with, with five women, you know, in bikinis, he doesn't market, you know, um, you know, this crap, you know, and, and use like this toxic masculinity type thing to draw in people who are on, you know, the wrong side of history when it comes to helping each other and being selfless and all that stuff. He doesn't cater to that, even though doing that, you know, can bring you in a lot, a lot of fans, but he didn't, he didn't want to do that. He wanted, he was a good guy. He was a humble guy. He's not a bragger. You know, you don't see in his videos like, oh, I'm the man, I'm the man. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. No, he just worked hard to get to where he was. And the guy was successful bodybuilder. He won competitions, third place at Mr. Olympia in the physique comp uh, competition. And he was in line to 
improve on that, get first or second place this, this year. So, I mean, nobody had a bad thing to say about the guy. Um, I'm so gonna into, I'm, I'm sorry, I won't get into this, Stephen. You and I talked about this in the pre-show. Yeah. So um, what we do on these podcasts is we're spreading in our own way, Steve, the love of the sport, right? So we could talk about training and how much we like lifting weights. And when we're on the forum, sometimes we can have a good day or a bad day. But ultimately, we're sharing information with people that are interested in doing the same thing as us. So it, there's a positivity to that. There's a, a get there, there. We're trying to stop guys making mistakes, for example. So that's what we do. We do it on podcasts. We do it on the forum. George seems to me, and you and I have spoken about this already in the pre-show, that one of these guys that had that effect on people. So, for example, Rami, who won the, the Open class, mentions him. Uh, Chris Bumstead mentions him. Dan Solomon come on stage and mentioned him, uh, did a specific thing and talked about athletes and mentioned George specifically. And and then obviously you've got uh, Jake Wood, uh, who's putting on the promoter of the competition, releasing uh, the um, statement that you've mentioned already. And what it was is here's a guy, regardless of his condition, tired, hungry, whatever, when you met him, his face would light up and he made you feel good. He bumped your fist. He was like, how are you doing backstage? And so what the other guys have all said was that this is a bloke that, which like going out for a drink with your buddies. There's the one out there's like the kind of crazy guy, there's the drunk guy, whatever. And there's the one that's making everybody laugh. George is kind of like that as a bodybuilder. You felt good. He's training. He enjoys lifting. He spreads that joy. I like going to the gym. I like fucking lifting weights. I like being strong. Share my love. And that's what's coming across with all these statements. Every person that's met him, every, like you said, no one's come away with a, I had a beef with George. George owed me money. He, he liked, none of that has come out. So this is the thing. We're going to talk about the sport as a whole in terms of getting into condition and what that means in a moment. But George is a person, 100%. I have not seen, and we're talking about, you said three weeks. By now, we would have seen something negative. It's just human nature. And we haven't seen a single thing, Steve. So that's what we're talking about. I mean, I'll use you as an example, Steve, how helpful you are on the forum. Every person that comes on the forum knows what you're like. That doesn't change. That's you all of the fucking time. This is George. Not one person has said a bad thing about him as a person. Now, what I want to get into, and we'll, we'll mention the drug specifically in a minute, is the issues of which have come up and which have been discussed as a result of George and as a result of the other issues in the sport with people dying and becoming unwell, et cetera, which seems to have been very frequent in the last few months. And that is whether it's George specifically or whether it's the sport as a whole, some of what we're talking about here, and we get into the drug stuff as well, is training is wear and tear. Steve and I are, are big on the forum for talking about getting sleep. Steve specifically has addressed that. I've talked about it. I've referred to Steve and I say, listen, get your sleep, get your rest. Don't be out partying. Don't be out doing drugs. Don't be out staying late. Don't be going crazy on the stims. That's another one of Steve's. Don't be doing stupid fucking drugs to get in shape because you left it too late. And that kind of stuff. And what we are seeing is this argument about whether the sport needs to take a step back. Guys that get in crazy condition are doing crazy things to get in crazy condition. And then we'll see like a, an open class competitor criticised for not being in condition. Guys, and that's just because it's a sport for the judges or whether the sport as a whole, you can't fucking have it both ways. You can't tell the guy that he needs to be in ripped to bone condition and then not do stupid fucking shit to get there. 
And then you get in the Steve and I are talking about here. Is this shit getting crazy, taking stupid amounts of drugs, fucking healthy? And the short answer is no. It takes a certain kind of personality type, driven, obsessive, uh, sometimes with borderline mental issues, and I say that as nicely as possible, to take things to an absolute extreme. I say that for myself as a lifter. I needed to be mentally in a different place from the other athletes. I'm not doing the, the directs. I'm not doing DMP. I'm not taking crazy amounts of stims. Heck, I don't even like taking a pre-workout. But the, for bodybuilding, that's kind of the stuff you need to do, and that ties in with the crazy diets. George, for example, po posting, I believe, online or something, replying to text or whatever at half past two in the morning. Was that because he was wired? Was that because he was up late? What well, maybe he's a night guy? But even a night, even even being up late, even doing night shifts, and especially if you're dieting as a bodybuilder, training and doing all the other stuff, even doing night shifts is not healthy. People that do night shifts or what stay up late tend to be less healthy than those that go to bed at sunset in the daytime. That kind of stuff. And it, I'm, I'm going to ask you, Steve to talk about a little bit from your perspective and obviously when we get into the drugs, what do you think about the extremes that some bodybuilders are doing and strength athletes for that matter to get into shape in terms of the stress on their system and, and extremes of behavior? Yeah, it's extremely stressful. And, you know, we had this talk on the pre-show as well. It was obvious that these competitors, they're on a lot of stimulants and the stimulants, what the stimulants do is it cuts your appetite. Um, because what happens is you're on all this, all these PEDs, all these steroids, all this growth hormone, and it's going to make you hungry. And to counteract all that hunger, you can take stimulants and stimulants can blunt your appetite. But here's the thing with stimulants, they don't work over the long term when it comes to appetite, unless you keep increasing the dosage or you cycle them. So in this case, you know, with these competitors, it's very likely that they're not only taking not just, you know, drinking a lot of caffeine, but and taking a lot of energy drinks and stuff like that, but also taking supplements that are stimulants. And some of the supplement brands that he pushes on, um, you know, that he reps for are heavy on the stimulants because stimulants are mostly legal. I mean, they're legal. Um, certain stimulants like DMA have been banned in the past, thankfully, but there are plenty of, you can go to a gas station right now, anywhere, and just pick up enough stimulants to kill you, to give you a heart attack. I mean, you could drink 20 energy drinks and kill yourself from, you know, giving yourself a stroke. So, I mean, this is what these guys have to do to get to this level. And the thing is with him, you know, he took it to the extreme. He was third place and he wanted to get that second place or first place. He wanted to go up. There's a lot of pressure on these guys. They want to win. They're type A personalities. To put yourself through this, you have to have that. You have to have that mentality. So yeah. on the day that he was found dead, his coach, Justin Miller, could not get a hold of him. Nobody was able to get a hold of him. So he went to his room and found him face down on the floor. They called 911 and tried CPR, but it was too late. He had passed away hours earlier. He had been dead already. So what we know, mobster, um, there's some speculation. Obviously, they've had a, they have got to do an autopsy and all that stuff, but they that probably won't be made public as it, I don't think, 
you know what? I think his family, you know, it's a time for privacy. So I'm not sure if that would mean longer. It would be nice for us to find out what exactly killed him and why he died because it can prevent deaths in the future. But the early rumors, which makes a lot of sense, was there was blood coming out of his nose, which could have meant he died of an aneurysm. So an aneurysm means you have a weakened area in the artery that could have ruptured and led to internal bleeding and stroke. So once that happens, the person can lose consciousness and you must get medical aid. Um, In his case, he collapsed in his room and there was no ability to get him medical aid. So we're going to kind of talk about um, we're going to get into the opinions on this. We're also going to talk about a steroid cycle. It's very important to go over this. And I, I have an opinion on this and I want to hear yours as well. So um, let me, let me talk about my opinion and then I'm going to bring in you mobster. So basically there's been 14 major deaths in the past decade in bodybuilding. So there's oh, no that, other sport, yeah. no other sport that has that you have deaths and in, in <laughs> sports, but you know, we haven't seen, anything um i mean no one dies in in these sports like on the field it's very very rare um so my opinion and that this could have prevented this death this could have at least gave him a a chance monster is why not have a roommate stay with them at all times it also have them be required to check in every hour with their coach or trainer because we know the coach his coach trainer traveled with him. It's on his, it's on his social media. They were on the airplane together and they did a selfie on the plane. And so he has an entourage going with him. Why is this person not checking up on him at least every hour or spending time, sleep in the same room, get a a double bed and sleep (laughs) in the same freaking room, get a bed and sleep on the couch. Your trainer should be with you 24 seven and make sure that you are okay. Why did he, why was he in the room by himself for hours straight? And why did people, you know, when they couldn't get a hold of him, just ignore him that they think, Oh yeah, maybe he wants time to himself. I mean, this is not, this doesn't make any sense. They also, and this is going to, a lot of people aren't going to like this one mobster, but have their health checked leading up to the competition by an independent doctor, just like they do in the NFL. In the NFL, when you take a hit in the NFL and you're on the ground and you're woozy, they take you off of the field and an independent doctor takes you to check on you and make sure that you're okay to go back in the game. And he makes a decision if you get the play or not, not the team doctor or not the coach who's going to be biased. And that will prevent problems like this. And if they're not well enough to compete, okay, if they're not well enough to compete, compete their high blood pressure, their heart, you know, their cholesterol is out of control. They, they're not healthy enough to compete. Guess what? They can compete. Even if it means half the people can't, can't make it into the competition. I'm sorry that, you know, it has to be like that, but. If you want to fix the problem, that's what you have to do. In every sport out there, every sport, they have the best trainers, the best doctors looking after their athletes, right? But how come in bodybuilding, these supplement companies are making billions of dollars, trillions of dollars even? It's a huge industry, but they can't afford to chip in. Every supplement company that sponsors the Olympia should chip in money to hire 
these independent doctors that have to make sure that these guys are healthy. So if George had really been under a care of a doctor who actually cared about him and was in his best interest, not the Mr. Olympia best interest, they would have removed him from the competition and potentially saved his life. So, you know, it's, it's really a shame. And, you know, he was a great man, loved by all. And it's a shame we lost a great human being. And, you know, we've done a lot of these podcasts and we've discussed, you know, guys who've been murderers and convicts and bad guys and, and guys who are just nasty, negative people. But yeah. George was one of the good guys. So we keep losing the good guys. And that's, and that's the problem. And Arnold actually brought up the, uh, the point that bodybuilding hammers the organs. So it's inside that's dying while other sports affects the outside. They get, they get, you know, injuries, broken bones and ligament tears and concussions and stuff like that. But bodybuilding is about inside the organs. So it's hidden. So really, you know, he says that bodybuilding should be about health and fitness and this should be fixed. So I don't think that's going to happen. That's wishful thinking. Um, but, you know, yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, what's you, your thoughts? Give us your thoughts, monster. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you an example. And something in my notes that I made for 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 this uh, podcast, I said protecting the sport. I make it real simple for you people. We can go with the back and forth. We know that, for example, being ripped, being dry, standing on stage, looking amazing, is not healthy. And it's been addressed by multiple bodybuilders when they say that the time that I'm supposed to look the best is for the time that I feel the worst, hungry, low glycogen. Your brain's not working right. Your buddy's having to call out which poses to do because you can't fucking remember your left and your right because that's how fucked up you are in a perverse way. And I like it even for myself in competition. In order for me to break world records and do some of the stuff I've done in the past, I'm risking injury. And like Steve says, <clears throat> that comes from being that personality type. So I get that. Steve gets it. We understand it. We've lived that part. We get it. Right? Equally, you've got to protect the sport. Because what do you want? Do you want the fucking government in your country, in the US? Do you want the federal government in the US? Do you want the UK government here, as I do this podcast with Steve, telling you what needs to be done in the competition, making laws, banning competition? Is that what you want? Because that's potentially what you're talking about. If the, if the federal government in the States goes, do you know what? We've looked at this sport and you've got too many people dying just to compete, because that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about a guy getting a broken leg on a football pitch, which has happened, broken leg, sorry, in the football pitch, which happened a couple of times ever in the whole of the uh, American pro football, and, uh, and everybody's crying. I've seen those videos. They're absolutely crazy. And so you never had helmets, and now you've got helmets. You didn't have pads in the days, and now you've got pads. That's the way that that's gone. And the sport kind of did it to itself. But if you hadn't done it, would the federal government have stepped in and said, you can't have American football? Can you imagine that, Steve? Can you imagine a sport that cannot take place because too many people are dying? And that's kind of what we're getting at here. We've talked about extremes of diets with female competitors making them ill and dying. When you've got Boston Lloyd, Mr. 3CC, talking about the extremes in his, it's like, oh my God, how much As for, for the thyroid drugs that one female athlete was on? When you've got Mr. CCE's reputation is based on extremes of PED use, shocked at what's being used by female bodybuilders to get into shape. And that was the ones that were able to speak on the podcast that he was doing, never mind the ones that had passed away. 
do you need the federal government? Do you want the government to police bodybuilding competitions? Because that's potentially the extreme that we could go to, where people are dying in their hotel rooms before they've got on stage, where you've got guys having to be taken off stage, where people are having to have oxygen on stage. You're literally just standing there flexing your muscles, male or female, and there's people bending over at the waist. There's people so unhealthy that they're having to go backstage and take a mouthful of oxygen. So unhealthy they have to go. I mean, as an example, one of the things that I addressed in a previous podcast was, and I've mentioned this on the forum, they're getting so dry that one of the things that was suggested was that there's immediately after a competition, <coughs> as soon as you've done those photographs and you got dressed, they would go to one of these places that could put you on a saline drip to rehydrate you. Just And that was for to protect your organs. And that's how crazy things can seem to be. And that's the sort of behaviour, that's the sort of risk factor where people will then die in the night before a competition uh, that would have the federal government stepping in, would have the local authorities saying, you know what, you can't have a bodybuilding competition because people die. And you're going, listen, there's like 900 athletes here. Uh, maybe only one of them's going to die. Yeah, but that's not going to happen. That's not how people think. And that is a crazy situation to be in. As I said, my notes is how harmful uh, our PEDs, when we talk about some of the cycles that we've addressed before, the great joke in bodybuilding for many years has always been up the trend, up the trend, up the trend. And everybody knows what a great drug it is. And equally, we also know what a massive stressor in the system it is. Medical checkups pre-competition, as Steve said, listen, if you're paying, as some athletes have had to do, $500 just to compete, and another $150 to $200, sometimes more, just to get spray tan, and other bits and pieces that can end up costing $1,000 total, then another $20, $30 to contribute towards a very simple medical test, because they would know what to look out for. How bad are your lipids? Are you huffing and puffing when you're standing in front of the doctor just standing there? Are your eyes jaundiced just standing there in front of the doctor? I think, sunshine, you might need to go and have a sit down. It's that kind of vibe. It's veils. It wouldn't need to be a complicated checkup. You'd be able to see the person and within two or three minutes, leave a couple of real simple tests. If your lipids are really off the chart, where's your what's your potassium levels like? You know, can you pee? That kind of stuff. So there's they're real, real simple stuff. And then, like I said, it might be even and something that's not addressed, which could be addressed with like, I know that some sponsors do this, and that is that they have you take a medical examination before they'll sign the contract with you. So what they're looking at there, Steve, and again, this might be it might have been an issue, it might have been part of what we're talking about is pre-existing medical conditions. We know of guys in all the sports that we're fans of and the sports we've taken part in ourselves, where people can sometimes come in. As I mentioned earlier, with pre-existing mental issues, but pre-existing physical issues. Should you, for example, not use certain PEDs if if your liver's fucked already from years of alcoholism, for example, maybe you've got a pre-existing genetic condition, and these are the kind of things. So I know that some sponsors are doing this. Perhaps it's something that you need to do as a pro pro athlete. You get your pro card and conditional on your pro card every year when you're renewing your card or every time you have to renew your card is you have to go to a doctor that they tell you to go to and he produces a, a, a workup of your numbers and he sends it off to the uh, federation and the federation says his numbers are good, he can carry on competing as a pro. If it gets to the point where perhaps you should stop competing as a pro because your numbers are absolutely awful, you need to go away and get better. You need to improve those numbers, but do it as you said, Steve, with an independent doctor. It's this stuff 
that will stop us being federalized, will stop having the government step in, because that's the last thing we want. We want this degree of independence. So guys, look after yourself. Let's get into the steroid cycle of an athlete like George Steve and talk about some of the, the effects that these steroids and other bits and pieces would have had on the body as well. And again, it's like we say all the time, people, this is not necessarily George's cycle, but it would be a cycle of a person like George competing at that level. And again, the effects that they would have had. Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, it's a gray area. What killed George Peterson? Was it, was it the steroids directly? No. Yeah. Was the steroids contributing to it? Absolutely. Would all these other things that he's taken contribute to it? Absolutely. Where is the stimulants? Absolutely. Contributing. But you can't point to one thing. That's the problem yeah. with, with this. So let's go over the cycle here yeah. of what these guys are doing. So 200 milligrams a day, trembolone, acetate, mobster mentioned trend. It is required for a bodybuilder who wants to win in place at these competitions, they must use trend because trend is the most incredible steroid out there. And if you're not using trend and the guy next to you is, that gives them a huge advantage. All these guys have tremendous genetics, all of them. All these guys work their butts off in the gym. All of them follow a very strict diet. All of them have coaches. All of them have trainers. Okay, that guide them along. So they've got to, they've got to keep up with each other. So trend is extremely important. It's an incredible nutrient partitioner. It's incredible for cutting down. It's incredible for shredding. It's incredible when you're eating in a deficit or not eating at all. It's, in, it's incredible for still growing muscle on your frame. That's, that's what it does. It was designed for that purpose in the first place. So why acetate? They like to run the shorter esters to stay flexible. If they want to switch the trend out, if they want to put something else in there, if they want to move the, the dosage around, that gives them the flexibility. You're using Trembolone anethate, long ester, and you want to up the dose, it's going to take longer to reach you reach a higher level in your body because it's a longer ester. It's more spread out. The ester releases slower than the acetate. The acetate's in your system quicker and it's also out of your system quicker. So how much was he using? 200 milligrams a day, not a week, not a week. 200 milligrams a week makes me, makes me nuts. Okay. They're taking a day. So that is an incredible amount of trend to use. Winstrol, 200 milligrams a day, not a week, not 40 milligrams a day, which adds up to 200 milligrams over a course of a week, 200 milligrams a day they're using a Winstrol. And why Winstrol? Winstrol dries you out. So it will polish the muscle, give, it, give you those cuts. Just look at a picture of George. And you can see how polished he is, how dry he is. There's not a speck of water on his frame. The other one, Master Run Propionate, 200 milligrams a day, a day. Usually, guys, Master Run, 500 milligrams a week, 400 milligrams a week. Two, this guy's 200 milligrams a day. Now, Master Run is absolutely incredible for hardening. 
look at his muscles. Look how hard his muscles are. You think, you think that um, you can get like that naturally? Of course not. His muscles were hard as a rock, as a rock. I can't imagine how he sleeps at night. He must have an extremely soft mattress because if you have a firm mattress and you're sleeping, it's going to be like you're sleeping on rocks. Take a bunch of, go outside and grab a bunch of rocks and throw them on your your bed and sleep on it. That's what it feels like. I know because I've been there, done that. (laughs) I've used Masteron before and my muscles were so hard. It was ridiculous. The other one, I'm going to bring in Mobster to give us his thoughts. Equipoise, 1,200 milligrams per week. Now, why Equipoise? It does everything these other steroids do, but a lesser degree. It's got less side effects. So it's basically just something to throw in there to give the cycle kind of a more of a completeness to the cycle. So it's more, um, it's not going to cause a water retention, you know, and it's not going to cause your side effects to get much worse. I mean, it's as bad as it can be already with the side effects, but it's not like going to be taking it to, to a different level. So yeah, I mean, that's what these guys use, guys. And, um, you know, you can take a look at their physiques and and just see how ridiculously shredded they are and how how tight they're, they are, um, the tightness of their muscles. And another thing with George, too, he was bald. And I tell you guys all the time, go on social media and these guys who are claiming natty, and then <laughs> they're, like, bald by the time they're 30 years old. Okay, that's not normal to be bald by 30. Obviously they abuse the crap out of steroids in their 20s. So when you're using these steroids, these dry compounds, these DHT derivatives, the Winstrol, the Trend, the Masteron, to a lesser extent, um, the testosterone, even the Equipoise to a lesser extent. But when you're using and abusing steroids, that DHT conversion in the body and that direct DHT effect will attack those hair follicles on your head. So your hair follicles on your head are going to get fried. And when they get fried, your hair falls out. So no doubt, no doubt. um, You can tell the guys who are abusing steroids who are claiming, Oh, I'm natty. I'm natty. Come on. You know, that's, it's kind of obvious that you're not natty. So yeah, mobster finish yourself. What else do you think uh, he was, he was taking here? I've just I've made some notes here, Steve, and I'll touch on these very quickly. Building muscle while you're dieting is not natural. And what I mean by that, you touched on it when you said talking about the trend specifically, that you're dieting down, you're getting leaner, and sometimes you're building muscle. That doesn't happen in nature. If you don't do that, with if you're not using drugs, it doesn't happen. You don't add muscle tissue on a restricted diet. Uh, it, 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 even the so-called recomposition would require... Uh, uh, something about you and all the recomposition stuff that we we address on the forums nearly always involves a drug again you'd have to be an absolute genetic freak and even allowing for george being that way it's not something that happens in nature people don't grow when they want something that's less than before so there's an element there steve touched on being super lean and how uncomfortable it is i'm reminded steve very quickly of dorian yates talking about that his lowest body fat he was wearing slippers or slide on something like this backstage. And he said that the fat, the last bit of fat in his body that would go would be in the soles of his feet. And he said, I knew that I was lean because it would be uncomfortable, painful to walk around backstage at a competition. 
where the bones and the meat were pushing on the skin. There was no fat, there was no soft tissue in there. It all kind of gone, the water was gone. And so it was literally physically painful to walk around when he was that lean. Um, something else as well in terms of stressors and stuff. And we, you, I, I'm not a fan of blasting and cruising. When we talk about people staying on, now sometimes what happens, and it's specifically with what we call professional or uh, uh, competing athletes, they will address this and they'll have a specific plan. Not always, but as a good example, I'm going to do drugs for five years and see where this takes me. I'm going to blast and cruise for 10 years and see where this takes me. I have the genetics to compete. I want to compete. And then you get things like, for example, haven't you didn't qualify at one competition, so you have to do another competition a few weeks later, which requires you to stay on. So before you know it, you're blasting and cruising for five years, sometimes in the extreme examples, 10 years. And essentially your plan, your great plan, is that when these 10 years are up, when these five years are up, I'm coming off drugs and I'm going to get healthy. Unfortunately, it doesn't fucking work like that. If you're doing a drug, and I don't care what kind of drug you're doing, but if you're a meth user or a coke user or something like that, and you do drugs for that period of time, it's going to have, and Steve will back me up on this, a lifelong effect. You can't do 10 years of steroids and at the end of 10 years go back to how you was before. Even if you lose all the muscle and all the strength and you just go back to being a normal guy, there will be a number of stressors in those cycles that you did for 10 years that would have fucked something in your system that's never going to go back to normal. I don't care who you are. It's just not going to happen. You might bullshit yourself it's going to happen, but it won't. So you need to be aware of that, guys. The stuff that you're talking about is potentially life-changing in terms of the length of time you're on. You do need to have time off. You do need to come away from all PEDs. Let's get into the last few drugs here, Steve. And what we're talking about here again, guys, is... Drugs coming in and out of cycles, especially when you're pre-competition. So, for example, we're talking about 50 milligrams a day of test propia cut three weeks out. And some drugs are kept in because they're keeping muscle on you while you're dieting. Fine, like we just said, but not natural. And other drugs are dropped a few weeks out because you're, if they hold water in the system, they make you look a little bit bloated. They affect your glycogen levels, that kind of stuff. You know, super crazy pumps, this kind of thing. And you want some of them to come out of your system or at least to be lessened in your system so that they approach the competition, you get leaner, you get more conditioned, et cetera, et cetera. That, that would be specific with test prop. Now, the stimulants, which Steve's mentioned a few times already, we know that some of the guys are still do, using stimulants, whether that's crazy amounts. For example, Steve, if you're taking a pre-workout, pretty much all the strong pre-workouts contain 400 milligrams of caffeine. The Americans, and to a lesser degree, but it's, we're, we're not far behind you, the UK and elsewhere, we're drinking more coffee, we're having more caffeine than we've ever done. And if you're doing that and having pretty much a daily dose, a daily recommended dose in one product, pre-workout, and then having more coffee through the day, you're having too much caffeine. And then there are other things that Steve said already, DMMA and other ingredients, and it does vary. Are you using these things all the time? Are you using it on top of your coffee and your tea and whatever else? Are you doing it on top of a restricted diet? So you need to be aware of that. When we get into the nasty, horrible stuff, which we, me and Steve have been down on this podcast before, are you, because you left it too late to get in condition, you didn't follow your diet, you cheated more than you said you did, are you going to do something stupid like use DNP? That's just... It, it, uh, we, we could bang, bang that drum all day long in terms of how stupid an idea that is. So 
be be aware sometimes just with a stimulants for example look at the things that you're doing are you using this product and this product and this product and not adding up the numbers you go oh, i'm taking this pre-workout i'm using this to get me into shape i'm having two cups of really strong coffee oh i didn't realize i was taking a thousand milligrams of caffeine a day realize write it down have a look at it are you doing stuff that make if you take a for example you, most people train, the busiest time in gyms is in the late afternoon, around five, six o'clock, when you finish work, for most people finish school, you hit the gym, you're taking a stimulant, and then you're complaining about being wired, and you're just an amateur, you're not even a competing bodybuilder. If you're doing it as a pro, and you're doing all the other things that pros do, then you're kind of hammering that now multiple times with all different kinds of hammers. You're not giving yourself a break. You need to watch the amount of stims in your diet. Again, it's a necessity, so to speak, being a professional bodybuilder to do stuff to give you that edge, but watch the effects. Again, if you've got heart issues or breathing issues, lung issues, and you're doing this kind of stuff, if you find it difficult to sleep at night without stims, then doing stims on top. And then again, if you're not getting enough sleep, you're not recovering. So there's stuff like that. All, all competition diets to one degree or another are unhealthy. Diuretics. This is a major one, and specifically the one that we've got over it, the last one here, letrozole. Right. So diuretics, some are, I believe, uh, and I'm, I'm not a, a diuretic uh, expert, but some are magnesium sparing, some are potassium sparing, some are not. And we've talked about this before. When the top bodybuilder in the world at the time, Ronnie Coleman, tells the story about being on the bed and feeling like he needed to go to the hospital and drinking a gallon, eight pints of water prior to going on stage, unfortunately losing that water through the day and ended up being better. Literally in the morning, as Steve said, his coach wasn't there. He had to ring his coach up, Chad, and say, Chad, I feel like death. I feel like this. This My muscles are cramping. I can't do this. I can't do that. Chad wasn't in the room with him. He was out with other athletes. And he says, go and get a gallon of water. Drink this water. Get some of this back in your system. When we talked about the saline drips for diuretics after a competition, going back on saline just to rehydrate. When you're talking about taking drugs and say you get into trouble and, and the medical, uh, um, ER, the... the, the what we call that paramedic comes to see you in your room. Have you specifically told him what drug you've taken, when you took it, how much pee you've peed out, what was the color of the pee? You know, do, do they know to put you on this saline with this in or not? They could kill you if they give you too much of a mineral because you've got so much in your system already and you're dehydrated. And I mean, there's a letrosol when we talk about letrosol, both with diuretics and other stuff, for example, crashing your estrogen having that is a bad idea having your all of these drugs can affect your blood pressure for example some of the drugs not necessarily the ones listed but other drugs thicken your blood uh so it's a, you can we can complain about small things like oh i take such or such a drug and the pumps were awful to the point of being painful and that's easy fix you take stop taking that drug for a couple of days that kind of goes away uh, you can take taurine to address that but how about you're taking a drug and your heart's struggling. How about you're taking a drug and you're breathing like a like a, a sort of exhausted horse all the time? We've actually seen people being interviewed after training, not at a competition, and while they're being interviewed, they kind of they stand out of breath while they're being interviewed. You know, and that that's that's a, a set a, that's either a medical condition or drug related. And trust me, more often than not, it's drug related. So we have to get into this. We have to say, and guys should never forget this. 
some cycles are healthier than others. You can talk about lowering the dosages. You can talk about different drugs. So, for example, how many times has Steve and I have seen guys not realize how bad the side effects trend can be? Well, then you're an idiot. And I say that nicely, guys, because there's no reason for you not to refer to the information that's available on our forums and on a million other forums. You go, you look, you look at the trend side effects. If you take more of a powerful drug, then you're going to have more problems with side effects. This is really quite simple. Now, just this weekend on the forum, we're just talking about a particular uh, peptide. Specifically, it's a medication that's used to treat type 2 diabetes. And the person in question claimed a body fat of 8% and wanted to get down to 5%. I looked into this drug and it was one of those wonderful drugs that helps you lose weight, but were twofold. One is it's an appetite suppressant. So you're already on the diet to stay lean and it's going to make you less hungry to, to get leaner. But at the same token, as we quite often see with fat loss drugs, there's the issue of diarrhea, a specific uh, fat loss drug where, for example, everybody was getting greasy stools. There's an image you want people in your mind. It's, and that's, that's the stuff that was going out to the mass market that wasn't even being used by bodybuilders. So again, these drugs come with side effects. You need to be aware. Mostly it's dose dependent. It's, it's the meant for the time that you're on cycle. When you're messing around with diuretics, for example, and the, the minerals that are being depleted or increasing your system can affect your heart rate. Can if, if that's, so, for example, your heart can speed up or your heart can slow down. Now, you're standing on stage, ripped to the bone, and your heart's racing. So you're breathing fast. You're, you're still sweating out the water and you're getting more and more ill as you stand there looking amazing. And again, this doesn't come across when you're talking about a competition. When we're sitting in the crowd, when we're cheering, oh, he looks fantastic. He looks amazing. He kind of probably feels like beating up dog shit. You need, and again, you need to have this kind of stuff in the back of your mind, guys. You need to know that you can't roll a dice and hope for the best. You need to be aware of these things. And as Steve said, the idea, and it's not very nice, that George or any athlete, Dallas McCarver is a very good example, both these guys were well-liked and they died on their own in a room, arguably as a result of what they were doing to be great bodybuilders. When you've got female athletes that take an extremes of thyroid amounts, streams of stimulants, to lose weight because they wasn't as strict as they should have been on a diet and they're going to like the craziest coach they can who says yeah you're getting the shape and he's not there and a the coach i'm thinking of is supposed to have had 200 competing athletes under him and a thousand total people and he's not with you he's not there he's not fixing the issues he doesn't know really how bad you are not being honest when you're talking to them that kind of stuff there's so many things here steve and i have talked to athletes we've worked with athletes I've encouraged people to do this. I've spoken about that kind of stuff. And you say, you know, and, and when you've got young people that have got no real reason to be doing this kind of stuff, asking you about these kind of things, you've got to wonder uh, because it's to them, they'll just see this hero doing what he's doing and, and wondering about if he does that and it worked for him, blah, blah, blah. And then he's dead, mate. Now, what now would you think? Now, what do you, young person that was just coming to the sport that followed Dallas or followed George, now what do you think? Do you want to carry on doing the stuff that they were doing because that's how you want it to look? That, that's, that's, that's the kind of crazy questions we need to ask you. What do you think?
look, at the end of the day, like nobody cares. Nobody cares that George Peterson died. Nobody cares these bodybuilders died. The Mr. Olympia, the sponsors, none of them give a shit. Let's let's just be honest about it. They their one objective is to make money. So, and the thing is, if they put any of these things into place where they'd have to have independent doctors, they'd have to check up on the athletes, they'd have the athletes would have to pass a physical and all this stuff, which Every other league has, by the way, like when you get signed to an NFL team, you have to pass a physical. When you get signed to an NHL team, you have to pass a physical. I mean, that's just common sense. But in bodybuilding, you don't have to pass shit. So at the end of the day, like they don't care about the people's health. So they just care about the money and nothing's going to change. Like you really think like Arnold, you know, talks about this. And he talks about, oh, it should be about, you know, health and it should be about this, should be that. And it's just like, it's not going to ever be that, you know, because people just want to see these physiques. They want to go and see these incredible, you know, they, it's not, it's not even human. It's, it's just uh, not, it's just not what a person should look like. It's, it, it's not the amount of muscle that should be on the frame. It's not the amount of body fat they should have. It doesn't make any sense. Their organs basically are dead inside at this point. And whether you die quickly, as George Peterson did, or whether you die a slow death, which most bodybuilders will die a slow death and die really young, you know, and in his case, he knew he was in trouble. It wasn't just something magically that came up. This isn't the first time he's had a health issue. He probably felt like crap all night. And then the next morning, he probably woke up and felt like crap. But you know what? He knew if he went to a hospital, <coughs> it wouldn't look good for him. You know, it wouldn't. He'd lose endorsements. He'd be pulled out of the competition. It wouldn't look good for him. And his trainer knew the same thing. His trainer could have knew. I don't know. I, I mean, I hope not, but it's possible. They put in so much work to get to that point to just pull out. You know, and we see we see that in boxing. We see boxers who go in the ring and they're not ready. They're not in good enough shape to be out there. They're get them. They get killed if they go out there. You know what those boxers do? We see this all the time. They just freaking go down <laughs> on the first punch and they're OK. They're, I'm good. You know, I'm good to go. I'm going to make my money. But if they pull out, they don't, they don't get paid. So it's like, just get in there, do your thing, and, and you're good. You're paid. So he was worried about that. He was worried about pulling out. If he pulled out, that was a year's worth of busting his ass down the drain. Because there's only once a year you have Mr. Olympia. So he didn't want to take that risk. So at the end of the day, you know, not, look, nothing's going to change. Expect more deaths. We're going to keep doing podcasts on these people who die. No one's going to learn a lesson. And that's just how it is. And, and you know, what's, what else, you know, doesn't people don't care about is that bodybuilding. No one cares about bodybuilding because if you say, ask anybody, you guys listening to this, ask your girlfriend, ask your boyfriend, ask your cousin, ask your uncle or parent. Oh, did you hear George Peterson die? They're going to be like, who, who the hell is George Peterson? We don't know who George Peterson is. So nobody even knows about this news. So it's not, it's a nothing burger. It's a nothing burger. It'll be swept under the rug. We'll continue to have bodybuilders die. 
and nothing, nothing will be fixed. That, that's my prediction. Let's see. Let's see if I'm right. Five years from now, we'll be talking about the the next six, seven guys that die, <laughs> you know? So if, finish if it, it up, costs, Bob, so yeah, and we'll go to the end of the yeah, if, it, if it costs money, then we see a change. And let's give you an example. I'm right? just thinking motorsports, specifically Formula One. Uh, there are some famous examples over the years um, of Ayrton Senna, and I forget the name of the fellow that was in the car. He's, got, he's, he's, a, he's a leader or was a... a a leader of one of the teams who was burns, covered in burns. We've seen photographs of cars flipping in the air. We know that one uh, driver was beheaded as a result of coming off onto the gravel at the side of a track, and they had a forklift truck there to move broken down cars, and his vehicle slammed into the forklift truck, and one of the forks took his head off. So what happens in Formula One is that every single time there's an accident, it seems to me they fix the problem. No, this forklift truck will be behind the barriers. They've, they've changed the framework on cars, so there's now a kind of piece of frame in front of the driver. He doesn't block his view because his eyes and his helmet's just on either side. But he, he, so he can see where he's going in the car. You have the, the whole carbon fiber nose cone of the car, which is meant to take the energy out of a crash from some crazy 26, 36 G down to nothing in a few seconds. It stops the guy's eyes popping out of his head. It stops him having neck injuries with the halo system, I think it's called, where they have like a restraint on the back of the head on the helmet to stop the head smashing forward into the cockpit of a car and all these kind of stuff. The harness systems that they use, the fire retardant uniforms that they wear, the gloves, the undersuit, etc., etc. Never mind the sponsor stuff on top, you are protected underneath. And that's because every single big accident, originally when the sports died, now, I give a fuck. You'd have a death one weekend and they'd be racing the next weekend. The guys that were crying over you one week would be out racing against the other guys next week. And then once the big money came, big money sponsors, if you're talking about banks and oil companies, et cetera, they didn't want the deaths on their thing. It's the reason, arguably, Steve, why we still don't get, when we're only just starting to see it, and even then it's extreme sports sponsors, big money sponsors, hooking into bodybuilding we've had it a couple of times over the years back in the 50s 60s and 70s big money sponsors came in and then they left again the big tv companies came in and then they left no one stuck around you're not seeing nike and adidas sponsoring this stuff if you did they would not want their athletes and the competition that they sponsored with those athletes in to result in deaths it's not good for the sport, and it certainly wouldn't be good for that sponsor. You're not going to sell more Nike trainers if a Nike training athlete is competing and he dies because, because the association with you as a sponsor suddenly becomes a really negative one. And as a good example of this, I believe, but don't quote me, that George was a Redcon 1 athlete, and he's not the only Redcon 1 athlete that's died. When the owner of Redcon 1 has to do, and he says in his own words, I wasn't expecting to have to do this again, and then tell you, you know, how, how sad they are that this athlete's passed away, what a great guy he was like we've done. That's, that's not a good thing for that company. That's not a good thing for the sport. The moment it costs them money, the moment, like I said earlier, on, if you get the federal government coming in, the local authorities coming in, right, we're going to test your athletes. We're going to, we're going to, find you if people die you need if you want your organization your association to be legal and bonded 
and protected and certified and all of this is more legit like a small business or medium or big business are there's a number of hoops that companies have to jump through just to be able to do for example health and safety in a factory same thing that goes with the association if the government steps in and says we will not allow your association to exist as a legal entity unless you're testing your athletes for these things if that's what you want guys then carry on doing stupid shit if you don't want that to happen if you want to have that certain level of freedom if you want to be able to make certain choices then you need to be aware that some of these things happen and arnold's a good example steve he puts on the arnold classic they invite athletes they look after athletes incredibly well with hotel rooms and training outfits and and quite often shoe sponsors low level shoe sponsors etc so you turn up at your room you've got a room that they provided you've got money per day for food that's without necessarily winning You've got an outfit to wear, sponsors, logos, etc. You've got shoes and so on. The art that the, the Olympia gives you a great jacket to wear, and that's that, that's a badge of honor in and of itself. If you're going to do those kind of things, then it's not beyond you, as Arnold says himself, to make that stuff happen. He can say, "This is what I want for the sport," but he can make it happen at the Arnold. He can say. Guys, I'm going to invite you to the competition. You're going to get $200 a day. You're going to have a great room with a little kitchen. You're going to have all these things. But when you sign the contract, you agree to be seen by a doctor. And we'll pay you the $200, but you're not going to be on stage if I find out you're a death store, if I find out you're fucked up, if I find out that your heart won't handle it, if I find out your potassium levels are out the window. Arnold can do that. He can afford to do it. He can afford to do the sponsorship, etc. Will he? Or if he does, is that an issue with the associations? I think Arnold's got the influence. We can go to talk, talk to him like Jim Lorimer, etc. He can go and talk to Jim Mannion. And he can say to them, this is what we... If he's like that back in the day, he can do it now. He has that power if he wants. It's a big issue. You might be coming up against some of the officials. But can he get some of those officials on side and have them support his view if he wants to? Yes. Steve, I will do the out as we go. As always, please note, we are not doctors. And the opinions in these podcasts are hours and hours alone. It is our view, and it is based on our experience and views on the topic, which comes from many years. Our podcasts are for informational purposes and entertainment only. The freedom of speech and the First Amendment are required.